it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey folks, Tom Valentino here on Friday afternoon. Last night, Travis and I talked about Jeopardy's search for a new host and all the problems that came with executive producer Mike Richards getting the job. Well, as it turns out, before we could even get the episode out to you today, Mike Richards resigned as the host of Jeopardy this morning. Travis said at the end of our discussion that if something was going to happen, it would be quick, and we did not know just how right Travis was going to be. The search process, which I guess is going to resume now, has been super interesting since it began months ago with all the different guest hosts Jeopardy has brought in and the palace intrigue that's gone along with the whole uh, deal. Uh, So even if we didn't know at the time we recorded that Mike Richards was on his way out, pretty much everything that we covered here is still very relevant today. Enjoy. The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the 200th episode of The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Uli. We are part of the world-famous Evergreen Podcast Network. Trav, did you ever think we would make it to 200 of these? Yeah, of course. I'm the eternal optimist. I knew we would make it to 200. <laughs> well, that's one of us. No, it's pretty cool, though. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, it's been almost six full years now, and... Uh, We've we've covered a lot of ground. I, I think we've evolved quite a bit over the years, but it's uh, it's been a fun ride, and uh, here we are. Yeah, yeah, good run so far. Let's keep it going. All right. Well, you know, this was not the subject that I would have guessed that we would lead off a milestone episode with, but it has been far and away the most interesting story that I've seen this week. And I know, given your interest in the show. It's uh, certainly a story um, that's uh, probably got your attention as well. The long and drawn out process to find the successor for Alex Trebek as the new permanent host of Jeopardy finally came to a conclusion. Uh, we, we have a new host. We have two new hosts, I guess, technically. And, uh, you know, that should have been the end of that, but um, it apparently is not. Mike Richards is going to be the host of the regular syndicated daytime version and uh mayam bialik i think i got that right uh, blossom you got it. You uh, got it. You got it. <laughs> uh is going to be hosting the the primetime specials and apparently there's going to be more of those than there have been in the past which uh is going to make that an actual worthwhile role which weird weird one not to interrupt you but you said more than there were in the past when were they ever in the past well, I like can't they had that, ever recall them. The, uh, the tournament of champions thing was it. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like the thing with um, you know, uh, Brad Rutter and, and, and Ken Jennings, Holzhauer and, and, Holzhauer, and Ken yeah. Jennings, and I feel like they've had a couple other things. Well, yeah, they're we can get into this later, but it sounds like they're gonna do some different formats or you know some you know special competitions and things like that outside of the the daily grind, so to speak. 
So if Jeopardy's changing, I guess that's that's one way it's uh, going to look a little different here moving forward. But uh, uh, the Mike Richards hire uh, certainly raised a lot of eyebrows, and and there was a little bit of a storm um, when the news first broke that he was getting the job. He was, of course, the executive producer and uh, <laughs> managed to hire himself. I guess technically it was somebody at Sony that was making that call ultimately. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there flashbacks were flashbacks of Dick Cheney vetting, uh, vice yeah, a lot president of, candidates, <laughs> a lot of people made that connection, <laughs> but, um, you know, some skeletons in, in Mike's closet there started to resurface. Um, he was involved in some lawsuits with the price is right. And then there were some questions that started to surface about this whole guest host search. And the way that entire process was conducted. And uh, it seemed like at first this was all going to blow over. And then yesterday, we're, we're recording here on Thursday night. So late afternoon, Wednesday, the ringer, Claire McNear, who is a fantastic reporter and has been covering the, the Jeopardy beat uh, for you know the past uh, year or two, wrote a fantastic book about Jeopardy. that um, was published, I think, last year, uh, dropped what? I would consider an absolute hammer uh, just going into a whole lot of detail um, about all of this and all of the issues around Mike Richards, uh, including a podcast that he apparently hosted about 10 years ago uh, where he said an awful lot of problematic stuff uh, to the point that apparently nobody from Sony knew that this existed. And when she reached out to them to ask them about it, it was deleted within a couple hours and almost all traces of the show were removed from the internet. Although as you told me, nothing is ever truly deleted from the internet. So (laughs) if you go digging enough, I think you could still find it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I got a lot of thoughts on this and just the way this whole thing's gone, but you know, you are the, the true jeopardy diehard of, of the nail. So I need your opinion on this and, and how the way this whole thing has unfolded. Yeah. So I will admit like when first, when I, when they first started showing them with the guest hosts, first it was Ken Jennings. I thought he did really good. Um, And then this Mike Richards guy who I had no familiarity with, like I knew, like I knew who he was because they told us who he was, but like I had never seen, like he's been on a couple other like garbage game shows before that you've probably, no one listening here has probably ever seen either. Um, but like, I didn't know who he was, but I thought, honestly, I thought he did a decent job. It seems like online I'm in the minority. Like most people were not fans of his, but I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, so, so whatever, like I didn't really care. And then it came and went a few more people came and went and they, they went through this process. And before all this other stuff came out, I, I didn't really have a problem with him being the pick. Cause I honestly thought he was fine. Um, not particularly inspiring or interesting or fun or anything, but you know, he'd get the job done. Um, and then it's like, okay, he's in charge of picking the, maybe not in charge, but he's guiding that process. He might not be the final decision maker, but he's definitely got a relatively significant voice in the room. Um, and then they started talking about how he, like the Ken Jennings um, 
like he forced his way in like Mike yeah. basically forced his way in that was like, that was hilarious because that did not come out for a long time right um because initially what did ken jennings do like six weeks and then richards jumped in for the next two weeks and he came on his first episode and was like well there's a scheduling conflict so all of it know, was very like believable it yeah, was like, I was like, okay, hey, you know, hey, I, yeah. so they needed somebody, you know, with COVID and everything, travel's kind of difficult. We had a hard time bringing anybody in. So, you know, I'm just stepping in to, to fill in and, and keep things moving along here. Like he was doing this real noble thing. And it just came out within the last few weeks that it was like, apparently all the it showrunners. It would have been hard to make Jennings work at, get in there at all. The like showrunners were all like, that we're like, no, no, we'll, we'll totally make this work. This conflict isn't really a big deal. And he just ran in and was like, no, 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 I, I'm going to, I'm going to save the day. I got this covered. I I, don't need you. So yeah, that was pretty dubious. And then as the story goes, apparently once it became clear that he was going to be in the mix to get the job permanently, he supposedly recused himself from being part of the selection process. But at the same time, these focus groups that they were supposedly heavily relying on. Uh, he was in charge of which episodes they got right. to see. Yeah. So it's like he, he, he could easily like, you know, put his thumb on the scale a little bit. Exactly. It's like and, uh, we'll pick the one where I did really well. And then we'll pick this one where it didn't seem to go as well and see how it goes. And yeah. who knows if that's actually what happened. But it sure seems like it's probably right up his alley at this point, right? Like this article, there was one line in there that that I think permanently made me against this guy was where, and I don't I don't remember what the exact line was, but it was basically like all this guy wants to do is host a game show. He right. doesn't care which one, he just wants to host a game show. And I'll admit, I'll I'm very I'm obviously very biased in this. Jeopardy doesn't deserve just a game show host. I think we can look at like most game shows and be like, okay, anyone could do this and it would be fine. There, I, I think personally that like, I know you're a big Price is Right guy. Price is Right, like Bob Barker, great Price is Right host, but a little bit like Dirty Grandpa, right? <laughs> and that was fine. And no one, like, no one had a problem with it. Like, that's sort of, like, subtle, subtle, like... Oh, a few people had a problem with it. There were lawsuits for him, too. (laughs) Yeah, but he was, like, he was beloved, right? And it it kind of fit with the atmosphere of the show. And, like, you got Sajak, like, on the internet. He's, like, a climate denier and all this crap. And no one cares because I've said it a million times. I will stand by it. Wheel of Fortune is the idiot's game. I don't care what anybody says. It's for the people that are too stupid to get on Jeopardy. And so he fits in perfectly there. Trebek <laughs> is like this moral compass of all game show hosts. So I don't want this slime ball now. I want him out. And it seems like you sent me a link before we got on here today of a, of a, I don't know if it's, if it qualifies as a report, but, you know, sort of rumblings that Sony maybe will consider, um, reversing course on this and personally i want to see it because as much as i love jeopardy i don't know that like i don't know that i would keep watching if it's this guy now i feel like it taints it a little bit for me it'll feel a little bit icky and i don't know if i want to do that yeah so just for those who are trying to catch up on all this kate arthur uh, editor at large from variety reported multiple sources close to the situation, say the discovery of offensive remarks 
from the podcast, that's the, the podcast I had referenced a little while ago, sparked grave concern within the studio about whether Richard's public image may already be too damaged for him to be the face of the beloved quiz show. There's little doubt that Sony Pictures is starting to consider alternative scenarios for the host slot, even as Richard's begins taping new episodes this week. That just came out within the last hour or so. And uh, yeah, it, um, I don't know. So it's there. there's basically I feel like all the baggage with him is in two categories. There's the what I think now can be politely described as a farcical search, borrowing a word from Al Michaels, because um, the, the the whole guest host process that they've gone through over the last seven, eight months, whatever it's been. By the way, if you are one of the other folks yeah i know a lot of the guest hosts were just kind of stepping in to do it for a week and they had no real intention of trying to get the job permanently but if you were one of those folks who was actually using this as an audition how do you suppose you're feeling right now yeah and and i'll be honest i wish we knew which ones because there's obviously a few of those people that did it yeah there were some that like like, definitely said they were but i don't want the job like yeah i don't know which ones did like i'm assuming that mayan bialik wanted it yeah people seem like a hundred percent sure that Aaron Rodgers wanted it, which kind of he surprises was, me a little bit. But it he was very like he vocal was, about it. Yeah, it's, had, it seems a little odd to me that he would, considering his current like career. Like he's still, but I know he said he could fit it into his schedule and everything, and maybe he could. But it still seems odd um, what'd because you, if what do you think of his record, performance? I thought he was a little too, eh, a little too. I I like it. I thought he did okay, and I like I watched him in the match the other day, that golf thing he did with Bryson and Phil and Brady. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was kind of the same there. He's just very like, eh, whatever. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And he's not like, he doesn't seem fun. He doesn't seem interested. Right. And like, I don't necessarily think he was terrible. I mean, he was bad. I just don't think he had quite the like outgoing personality to be, to be the full-time guy. Considering you know, he he was very outspoken about his love of the show. I'm not told. Uh, really quick, I'm yeah. not totally sure that his. Um, yeah, I would love to host Jeopardy. Like, I'm not sure that those reports weren't maybe to lean on the Packers a little bit. Yeah. Like, eh, yes, I can go do something else. Like, right. I have other interests. I don't need football. Yeah. Um, because it was around the same time that there were rumors he might want to get traded and stuff like that. So I don't know how, how seriously I take those reports either. But yeah, he does seem like a guy who's like a legit, like Jeopardy junkie, loves the show. And- Very much so. And, and you know, he, he talked at length about the amount of prep he put into mm-hmm. getting ready to host. Making sure he and, did a good job, yeah. And, you know, I felt like tactically he checked all the boxes and was competent. but Just an idiot let, factor. Let, let, yeah, I was going to say, like you said, I, for a guy who the, plays the glamour position quarterback for one of the NFL's most well-known teams and has done, you know, a lot of commercials – and, you know, has been in front of a camera and on a stage before I was shocked by how little charisma yeah. or, or how, how little he seemed to pop off the screen. Yeah. I, I just, I was really, I was really taken aback by that. So um, anyway, uh, and, you know, getting back to what I was saying before the, all the criticism of Mike Richards has kind of fallen into two buckets leading this ridiculous 
search process and ultimately getting the job himself, which by the way, people who knew him, um, and when they found out that he was going to jeopardy a couple years ago, they predicted this was going to happen two years ago. Uh, like watch when this job opens up, he's going to end up hiring himself. So it kind of speaks to what you were saying about this guy just always wanted to host a game show. Um, and he had definitely tried to get the, the, uh, the price is right job. Cause you know, before he was with jeopardy, he was the price is right executive producer. Um, and it was his time at the price is right where he got into all the other hot water. He was involved in some, you know, offensive language, uh, some sexual harassment type, uh, issues. Um, I know one of the lawsuits I think, uh, involved, uh, one of the models, um, a, a wrongful termination type deal. Um, so yeah, he, uh, there was a lot. The thing with that though, is I feel like none of that stuff is great, but I feel like there weren't a lot of examples that I've heard of that coming up recently. That feels like a lot of in the past eight, 10, you know, plus years ago. That, which, and what do you mean? The, well, like the, you know, the offensive stuff, um, yeah. you know, the search <laughs> is its own problem. Um, and, and that's very current obviously. And, and, you know, relevant to what's going on now, but the, the things about him being, you know, really off-putting as a, as a person, um, I feel like the, the examples that were cited there. And the other thing that I thought was interesting and the one, uh, issue I had with, uh, Claire McNear's story, I tweeted her about this today. I didn't get a response and that's okay. She's probably getting inundated. Um, you know, there are people from, there were a lot of people that came out of the woodwork in her story to like, you know, share their horror stories and, you know, guaranteed anonymity to, you know, cause of concerns over their job security, yada, yada. Um, there were a few people from the price is right. Drew Carey, uh, was one of them. Um, the, uh, the longest tenured model on the show is another. And then the current executive producer who, uh, uh Evelyn Warfel is her name, uh, uh, you know, she worked under Mike Richards for a long time. She's been with the prices right for over 10 years. They all, um, when the, the news first broke that it sounded like he was getting the job, all put out s- statements in support of him. Um, and it really felt like it painted a very different picture of him. Drew Carey, I'll, I'll read his tweets. He said, I need to speak up for Mike Richards and his time at the Price is Right. Every Price is Right model since I started has gotten pregnant. And he built whole season arcs celebrating them. We haven't even had a baby shower show for crying out loud. They, The models were not even allowed to talk to me before Mike came on the show. He took them from being just bodies on the stage to actual people that audience could get audiences could get to know as part of the Price is Right family. He's great, and I hope he gets to be the next Jeopardy host too. Um, you know, and the thing about the, the models, you know, why that's also significant is once they got actual speaking roles on that show, they got paid more money because you know you're you're taking on a higher level of mm-hmm. performance. So um, that was significant. And, you know, what he didn't, uh, Drew, Drew Carey didn't mention there, but, um, you know, along that same time when Mike Richards was with The Price is Right, uh, you know, they added male models, which is something they'd never done under any of their previous management. So um, I'm not saying, and, and this is not, a def- I want to be 100% clear, this is not a defense 
of Mike Richards. Clearly, the guy's got some issues um, in the past and for different reasons currently. And I'm not saying any of what he did here excuse that, but I felt like it was at least worth a mention and omitting that the fact that there were people that were willing to like put their name on the record, knowing that this guy was facing a shitstorm to like speak up and defense him. I felt like that at least deserved a mention. Yeah. Um, I, who, there was one of them that I saw in the article today, who was one of the two girls that was, or women, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, one of the two women that was on his podcast, um, they like reached out to her and she like, didn't respond. And they're like, Oh yeah. And by the way, she's now, an assistant like producer on jeopardy it's like well yeah she's not gonna fucking say anything like mm. <laughs> that's those aren't the people that you're that you need like much of a comment from um and and you're right there's two different things that are like issues now it's how it's the hiring process and it's is he like a shitbag like is, is he sexist he said he made like a jewish joke um he was you know there's uh, accusations of sexual harassment who knows what actually happened we're going to assume that you know there's some truth to them how much who knows um but like those are two different things right and so do they carry the same weight is one i I would say no but collectively it seems like it seems like it's casting it would cast a bit of a a pall over the whole thing and the uh, thing that you sent me a little bit ago um, seems to be that's exactly what happened like it sounds like they, they started taping today for those that are unaware they started taping for the new season today and it sounds like it was awkward as hell yeah um, so that's I don't know if that's if, if that's something they they move past quickly and people stop caring about or what but um, at the end of the day this feels like this was an eminently avoidable problem mm-hmm. and yeah that's probably the most frustrating thing about all of it. Like there was nothing compelling about Mike Richards or Mike Richards as a game show host that necessitated saying, man, we have got to find a way to make it work with this guy. You know, like, right. He's not like, I don't want to draw like too much of a comparison, but he's not like, um, you know, like a stud athlete. I'll use Kareem Hunt because he had some shit around him and I don't want to compare like violence to against women towards hiring yourself for a job, but Kareem Hunt, supremely talented, former rushing thing. There's a lot of reward to that, right? So it's a risk, but there's a lot of reward. I don't know what the reward is for Mike Richards. There's 10 other people that are willing to do the job that would be just as good at it. So I don't, I don't really get the point. I don't get why this, and and you're right. You're exactly right. It's completely avoidable because like, it seems like, and I hate to keep calling her Blossom, but I don't want to mispronounce her name the whole time. I am Bialik. I am Bialik. Okay. Um, I got it out right once. Now now I'm confident. I can, I can do this. It seems like she really wanted the job and I'll admit she was one of my least favorite. Um, One of my least favorite guest hosts. She just had like, and, and maybe it was nerves or something, but she had a couple little like, I don't know, a couple little things she did that just kind of rubbed at me the wrong way and got really annoying. And she kept doing them the whole time. So I didn't really want her to get the job, but it seems like she really wanted it. She's also 
incredibly smart and my hunch is she probably would have gotten comfortable and and been good at it so whatever um so and there's a couple other people and and yeah you're right why this guy what did he do to set himself apart i don't think he did anything in front of the camera no clearly he was playing the game the right way (laughs) uh on the other side of the camera yeah Um, they all show all these people all these guys all showed up and thought oh this is alex trebek's show this is all going to be on the up and up but it was actually mike richard's show all along well at least in the last year and a half because right. uh yeah he has not been there very long so that actually leads me to the one other thing i wanted to ask you so i was super invested in this from when ken jennings i i saw pretty much all of his episodes i watched all the mike richards episodes um really through the first i would say four or five months of this search process i saw almost everything uh, i did not watch any of dr oz because i think that was like the same week march madness was starting and i just i kind of tuned out on jeopardy that, that week pretty well for you yeah um but i will admit like the last couple months i i really didn't see much like i think i saw one of my mb alex episodes um pretty much everybody else this summer i i kind of after the tournament of champions in may i i mostly checked out i i think david faber had one that I saw, I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, and uh, I honestly, there were none. There were very few, I should say. There weren't none, but I didn't watch Dr. Oz. I didn't like Dr. Oz. I, I'll be honest, I didn't really love LeVar Burton either. Yeah, um, so I, that's why I want to ask you. Who did you like and who did you not like? Because I really, LeVar I really Burton, liked Ken. Okay. Um, I really liked Ken because he came out like, it, the way he was so... And everyone was pretty good, but the fact that he was first, he was the one that had to take a stab at it first, right? So I felt like the bar was incredibly high, and I thought, like, for a guy who was doing something that no one else has done in who knows, what, 30-some, 35 years, something crazy, um, no one else has hosted that but Alex Trebek, and he was the first one to do it, Um and I thought he did really well. And I thought he was, he got better and better as he went along. And I thought he was a really great natural fit. Um, I didn't care for Mike Richards. He was fine. I was like, okay. And, and part of the way that I was judging him was because he said, oh yeah, I kind of just got forced into this. Um, they <laughs> you really got hooked. Someone, yeah. They really needed someone. And so I was here. I saved the day. And so I didn't really hold him to that much of a standard. I'm like, okay, if you can get through the show, that's fine. And the one thing I used to judge people was, did you get through all the questions? Because nothing, nothing drives me crazier than having like two or three clothes left on the board at the end of a round. So it was immediate. Like if, if you were fast enough to get through all the questions, I'd give you benefit of the doubt. That's an interesting um, criterion because isn't that largely dependent on, you know, if you've got a bunch of questions that people don't answer and they have to, you know, wait four or five seconds before you get the boop, boop, boop you know, and, ha- and, you know, you're kind of sitting around waiting for the next one. Um, or if you've got like, uh, you know, when they have like the, 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 it's always the ones where they have like video ones where like, yeah, yeah some of those, those kind of chew up more time. There, but, there are, but there, are, there were definitely times over the last few years where Alex was reading a little bit slower. Um, and just because he was reading a little bit slower, they weren't getting through clues. Interesting. Um, and it, it's one or two clues. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but the worst thing was 
I always wanted to get the sports categories. And if you're anyone who ever watches Jeopardy, you know that the people on Jeopardy go to those last. So, so it's always like the ones that I wanted to see are the ones that weren't getting read if that was the case. Um, so Boy, do I feel that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like there was that one from a few years ago, that football category where they went five categories deep. They were all pretty easy questions and that no one got a single one. No one even rang in to guess. Um, and Alex just made fun of them all basically. Yeah. Um, I liked, I didn't really care for Aaron Rodgers. I thought Anderson Cooper was fine. Um, I didn't care for, um, I thought Buzzy Cohen did a good job. He mm-hmm. was better than I expected. I liked him more as a host than I did as a contestant, honestly. Um, I, the one that I really liked and nobody else really seemed to was Savannah Guthrie. Um, I didn't see any of hers. She was she was the only one who wasn't – I felt like everyone else who did it had watched and studied Alex and tried to, like, emulate him and sort of speak with the same type of cadence and handle themselves at the podium the same way and interact with the, the, everyone else the same way. I thought she was far and away the most relaxed and the most like herself. She was different than everybody else. And I kind of liked that. I thought it was a little refreshing, like change of pace because I don't want the next person to just try and be Alex. Yeah. Alex was Alex. Do your own thing a little bit. Yeah. Go, um, go back to Drew Carey. I mean, when he right. took over for Bob Barker, that was like the big thing was like, you're not going to reinvent the price is right, right. but at the no same one, time whoever takes that job is not going to be the next Alex Trebek. You can't do a Bob Barker impression. You can't do an Alex Trebek impression and think you're going to have much of a shelf life. You got to find ways within the context of the institution to make it your own and, and be, find true, your own be voice. true to it, but also be true to yourself and, you know, do it the yeah. way that you think works best. And I thought she did the, she stood out the most to me in that way. Um, the thing I didn't really love about LeVar, I love LeVar Burton, and I loved reading Rainbow as a kid. I felt like at times he still thought he was on reading Rainbow. I thought he was like reacting like they were kids. Mm. He was very, he he was like overly excited when people would get like questions right, and it was it felt a little forced, for lack of a better term. Um, but yeah, to me, it didn't seem it didn't seem it just didn't seem to fit. So and people loved him, but it just it just didn't do it for me. Yeah, I was going to say, so for those who don't know, he was probably the most public in his campaigning for the job, and it took a long time to get him a shot. And for quite a while, as they were announcing other guest hosts that were scheduled, the longer the, the Jeopardy went without giving LeVar Burton a shot, uh, the more the, you know, sizable fan base of the show was like, what is going on here? Like, give this guy a chance. He clearly, you know, given his background, um, you know, he, he, and his passion for the show, he deserves an opportunity here. And they finally did. I didn't see any of those episodes again, so I, I can't weigh in personally, but I can say that after his episodes air, after they aired, the general sentiment that I saw was the only people that were still campaigning for him to get the job and thought that it should be his were people who didn't actually watch him host for that week because it was brutal. And there were rumors. There was a, a, a conspiracy theory floating around that um, people within Jeopardy that didn't want him to have the job left a bunch of flubs in and things like that that would normally get edited out. And then it, I guess it came out afterwards that he just had so many of them and he struggled so much that they just kind of reached a point where like they ran out of time and, and had to just leave 
some of those awkward moments in. Um, that's not a good sign. I guess the taping days with him went way longer than anybody else. Uh, so, you know, he only did one day. Yeah. Yeah. He I filmed guess. all his episodes in one day. Well, there you um, go. And that's tough. I mean, to be fair, that, that is hard. You've never, you've been preparing for this your whole life and you know, you finally get your shot and you had a very public campaign behind you. I'm sure he was pressing and yeah. who, who knows, had yeah. he gotten more time, maybe he'd have gotten more comfortable and things could have worked out better for him. But, you know, pretty much all those hosts other than Ken Jennings did one or two weeks. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. So I, I will tell you, so like, I, I, I like Ken Jennings a lot. And I think from, you know, going back to that ringer story again, it sounded to me, I know Alex Trebek always used to joke that, you know, he, he wanted a, a young up and comer as his successor. So he thought Betty White was the best person for the job, but it did seem like there were definite signs that he had kind of given the nod to Jennings. Yeah. There's that, you know, that there was that anecdote about um, when Ken Jennings showed up for the first day of taping uh, in Trebek's dressing room, uh, his widow had left Alex Trebek's cufflinks with a note for him, wishing him good luck, which was kind of like a sign of like, hey, you're the one. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he did a great job, and especially given the circumstances of being first, like you had said, um, I thought Mike Richards was fine. I'm going to tell you, the one that I was actually really surprised by, and I'm curious to get your thoughts, Joe Buck. I Not I, bad. Not bad. Yeah, I didn't mind him. I thought he was pretty decent, actually. Okay, because I, I, like I said, I took most of the summer off, but you know, there's this contestant that's on there right now, um, Matt Amodio. He's uh, a powerhouse. He's they, annoying. They introduced him as he's... being from, I think, New Haven, Connecticut, but he went to high school in Medina, so he's a Northeast Ohio native. His he also went to Ohio State. There you go. And and his Indians fandom uh, has come up on the show. I think like the first day that Joe Buck hosted, they were talking about both being at game seven of the world series a few years ago. Um, so he's gone on a real heater. What, what is he like 17, 18 days in a row now? I don't know what it's at, but yeah, he's, he's, he's now number third three all and in third all time in winnings already behind. And he's Jennings. way behind. He's way behind Holtower, but yeah. Um, and Holtzauer is just a little bit behind Jennings, but right. Um, so those guys are both around two and a half million, and I think yeah, Amodio's a like little six. over like six hundred thousand. So, yeah. but um, he's still. I mean, yeah, he's he's killing it. He's got like a a little mannerism about starting every question exactly this, every response exactly the same way, which drives me crazy. What? Yeah. So if you <laughs> have every watched, answer, what? If you haven't watched, you know that Jeopardy, like you have to respond in the form of a question. And he responds in the form of a question, but every question starts with what's, even if it doesn't make sense. So if it's, if the response is William Shakespeare, he says, what's Shakespeare? And he never says a first name unless they prompt him for it. I think he has like built in these sort of like mental strategies that require him not to think about it. Right. So he, before he like even starts he doesn't think about what he says before he answers. So he just says, what's whatever. And if it's Shakespeare, he's not going to say William, even though everyone knows it's William, he's not going to leave the like option that he flubs it and says it wrong or anything like that. So he's, he's really smart in that way. Like 
yeah, he, he knows all the answers. He's brilliant. Like, just a really smart dude. So but he also, like, he has a very effective strategy. It's just annoying. Well, it's the, the whole uh, what's thing and, and not saying any first names unless absolutely necessary. It's, you know, taking potential risks or whatever out of the equation and, and fewer decisions, I guess you could say. It reminds me a little bit of like Steve Jobs always used to wear the black, black turtleneck and jeans because that was one less thing he had to decide every day. Yeah. What am I going to wear? Nope, that's already taken care of. That That yeah. is out of the equation for the day. So. Yeah, it's smart and it and it makes a lot of sense. It just drives me crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I've come around on it, I guess. I think I have too a little bit. I think I'm just but, used to it. It's like, yeah. I'm at least going to appreciate because I'll be honest, I didn't really like Holtzauer a lot at first either. He seemed kind of annoying. He 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 was a little grating at first, and he, I've come around on him a little bit too. So, yeah, um, I think it gets to a point where if you're if you're just really damn good at the game, I have to appreciate it and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. So anyway, this guy's run kind of got me back into it, and especially because I knew Joe Buck was going to be guest hosting for a week. I run kind of hot and cold on him as a sports announcer. Um, I like him in certain settings better than others, but, you know, basically grown up with him calling so many iconic, you know, major games for, you know, most of my life now. I mean, he started when he was super young. He got that lead job at Fox. So like seeing him in, in the setting of being a game show host for a week, I'm like, all right, this is interesting. I got to give this a shot. I thought he was awesome. I loved him as a Jeopardy host. Yeah, I don't know. Really if, good. I don't know if he had any sort of. I, I'm doubting that he had any sort of interest in doing it uh, full time. And, and I, I'm he's guessing one of the he, few people who probably makes more. Yeah, with this current gig. Yeah, and he's he's busy enough with uh, the NFL and Major League Baseball. I know he doesn't do the the U.S. Open anymore, but um, you know he's got enough other things going on that I'm guessing that yeah he probably had no interest in doing that permanently which is too bad because uh he he, remember what i had said earlier about aaron Rodgers kind of lacking that charisma joe buck had it in spades he He was totally into it when people were like you know getting these really obscure answers or pulling off daily doubles you know wagering big money and stuff like that and i'm like yeah that's that's the energy i want when i'm watching this show for 30 minutes a night so that um, was that was honestly one of the things that i thought savannah guthrie had more than more than most okay she was interested she was rooting you could t- like she wasn't like patronizing about it she wasn't like celebrating but you could tell that like she wanted everyone to do well she liked when people got the questions right she liked talking to them and like bullshitting in that segment in the middle of the first round like she liked all of that and she was engaged and but she wasn't just standing up there being like rigid, trying to be really like static about it. And I thought Joe Buck was kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. I think they were, they were probably Robin Roberts a little bit too um, okay. was similar that way. But I think most of them were just trying to like, it felt like they were just trying to get through it. It didn't seem like a lot of them were having fun. Yeah. Um, all right. So just to put a bow on this, if you had to venture a guess, is Mike Richards keeping this job or is Sony actually going to pull the plug? Um, I think we're, we're like a couple days away from knowing. I think if it snowballs, I think it could be something they pull the plug very quickly within like the next couple of days. If they don't pull it within the next couple of days, I think they just weather the storm and he keeps I, it. I think that's a good prediction. I, 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to have to happen quick. I think by the next, by the time we host again, we will know. Yeah. By the time we do one of these again, we will know for sure whether he's still in the, in the job or not. Um, no. This has yeah. all been fascinating to me. This, it is. This, it's a wild thing to be like this interested in. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing, because of the, the nature of the show, Jeopardy is like comfort food television. It's always yeah. there. It's always, you know, you know exactly what you're getting out of it. And and it's reliable. And it's just always kind of churning along in the background. And this process really put this whole show in a much higher profile spot yeah. than it has been probably ever. And, and it, it raises the question to me. I don't know if this will be good for it, though. For most shows, something yeah. like this would be great. It'll raise the profile. People will tune in just to see it. I don't know if Jeopardy works that way. I think Headed. a lot of people who see this stuff, it will turn them off. And they were as much as they were watching Jeopardy for Jeopardy, they were watching Jeopardy for Alex Trebek, too. So if they don't like the guy who's in his spot now, they may be inclined not to watch anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I think had this search ended with somebody that was a little more likable and had a little less baggage, I, I think this whole search would have been just what the show needed because yeah, it would oh have yeah. raised the I profile agree. and gotten a whole lot more eyeballs on it. Agree completely. And I think it, it would have, it would have done that. I think the fact that it's this guy who's not particularly likable and isn't doing a whole lot, to make people want to watch. Yeah. Like if it was Maya Bialik, like as much as I didn't really love her as a host, you could tell she loved it and she wanted the job and she would do work really hard at being good at it. And she would, you know, do a very good job of it. It wasn't about her. It feels a lot like to Mike Richards. It's about him. Mm. I think all those other people who really wanted to do it, love the show and they want to make the show good. Yeah. They don't just want to be the host of Jeopardy. They want Jeopardy to be really good, and they think that they can make it good. I think Mike Richards, it, it, it goes back to the thing I said at the beginning of this. He just wants to host a game show. If he does stay on, if he doesn't stay on as the as the host, I cannot imagine he stays on as the no. executive producer it, either. Way too awkward. I, I will say that if he does survive all this, I know the Jeopardy audience, the, the Jeopardy community, I think is you know, an extremely diehard loyal group. I, I get the sense there. It's a little bit provincial. And if you're not one of us, you're, you're not one of us, you know, type of thing. And there is a lot of consternation I've seen about him. I know like there's talk that like, you know, him mandating wardrobe choices for contestants mm -hmm. and, you know, how is he going to change this show? And, and um, it's interesting to me because, you know, is you're a Jeopardy diehard. I'm kind of a Price is Right diehard in much the same way. I can remember when he took over as the executive producer for the Price is Right. There were a lot of similar concerns then, and clearly he ran into some issues. Um, but what you actually saw on TV every day, it, it did change. They put a fresh coat of paint on the show. They started doing some different things, more themed episodes. And, you know, there was the stuff with making the models more active, um, you know, with, with speaking parts and, and whatnot, but like the core gameplay there never changed. And, 
um, you know, here's one. So, you know, apparently one of the things with him is he's really obsessed with like appearance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I can distinctly remember, uh, when he, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, there was a rumor on one of the message boards that apparently on his watch, they were going to start making sure that the best looking contestants were strategically placed in the first few rows behind contestants row so that they were the ones that were on screen the most. I can tell you from watching a whole lot of episodes, hundreds of episodes over the years, that really did not happen. So, um, (laughs) so my, 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 all you, uh, all you ugly sitting in the first few rows. Tino saw you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to say, you know, as somebody who is seeing his work, over the years, if he does hang on to this job and, and this becomes a new normal, you might see some cosmetic changes. I don't think the gameplay on the daily, you know, edition that he is hosting, I really don't think that's going to change. Ultimately, I think it's going to be the same game and, you know, you might not like him. You've got very valid reasons for not liking him, but I don't think the institution of jeopardy, is going to crumble because of Mike Richards. I'll tell you how the way that I, that I see it working out for me as someone who, as you mentioned, I'm, I, I just love the show. I watch it any chance I can get. So for a long time I had DVR and I used to DVR Jeopardy and my wife and I would watch it when we eat dinner, regardless of what time we ate dinner, mm-hmm. we would, you know, we'd watch the episode from the day before, or we'd watch, we'd start the one from that day. So we could fast forward through commercials or whatever. Um, we don't have DVR right now. I don't. I don't have any sort of cable package at the moment. I have a few apps. I'm, I'm one of these cord cutters, um, but I do have Paramount, so I am able to watch Jeopardy. I'm able to watch it at 7:30. My wife and I make a conscious decision, or we usually do, um, if we're making dinner, like let's hurry up and get dinner so we can catch Jeopardy, right? So we're not like getting sitting down at 7:50 to watch it. We want to be able to watch it, so we make sure that. As we're doing things, we're, we're ideally ready to watch Jeopardy at 7.30. I don't see myself do, making that effort for him. Hmm. I feel like if I'm if we're sitting down and it happens to be 7.30 or 7.40, I'll throw on Jeopardy. If it's 7.55, eh, whatever. I miss Jeopardy. No big deal. I don't see it being like appointment viewing for me anymore. I don't think you'll be alone in that. We'll see what happens, though. And and it's possible that that would have been the case anyways, but I I honestly don't think it would have. I think I would have given any of the hosts, all things considered, like, I would have given any of the hosts, like, benefit of the doubt and been like, okay, let's see how they can do it. It's unfair for me to expect this person to be Alex Trebek. Um, I just want to see what they can do. And as long as I think they're working hard and they're, you know, they're, they're not terrible and none mm-hmm. of the guest hosts were terrible, as long as they're decent at it, great i'll still enjoy the show this just feels a little like eh. icky yeah exactly i said that earlier and that's that's the best word i can come up for it it just sure. doesn't feel like it's on the up and up um and so it's like i don't eh, i don't need it i don't need it anymore and well, that sucks, i love jeopardy i i hear you 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So in the Department of Feel Good Programming, I I do have to ask, did you catch any of the Field of Dreams uh, baseball game, Major League Baseball game? that aired last week. This is our, our Joe Buck segue because on the same week that he was hosting Jeopardy on one channel, on another channel at the same time, he was calling the uh, White Sox and Yankees in uh, Dyersville, Iowa at the Field of Dreams. I did not. I did not watch. I did not watch any of it as it was going on. Um, I saw like some of the previews and I saw like some of the pregame stuff. Um, and I had seen over the last few weeks them like leading up to it. And Twitter loved it. Like, it seems like the one, it's one of very few, like, promotional vehicles that sports have tried in the last few years that were universally, like, no one had anything bad to say about it. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Like, that's great. Um, The movie Field of Dreams is fucking terrible. I don't care what anybody (laughs) says. It's a garbage film, and you will nothing you can say will change my mind. Um, But as far as, like, a promotional, like, one-time thing, I think it's pretty cool. And the, and the game obviously delivered too. Um, that was yeah. So it seems I, like all you could ask for. I um I was traveling for work. I got back to my hotel room and I was able to finally turn it on for the ninth inning when like the fireworks really started to go off there with uh, all the home runs. You know the White Sox blew a lead in the top of the inning and then they walked it off with a home run in the bottom of the ninth. Um, you could not have asked for a better game. Given the the setting there, um, it was a perfect confluence of uh, you know a unique atmosphere um, and and just a spectacular game to go with it. I think they ended up saying it was the highest rated you know in TV ratings. It was like the highest rated game in 15 years or something for the regular season, um, which is phenomenal, um, especially when you consider what most everything other than the NFL, what most sports TV ratings have looked like over the past year, um, drawing something that big. I mean, clearly there was a lot of interest in it. Uh, it just looked so cool. And, you know, I, so I'm in, I got YouTube TV. I'm doing this trial for like their 4k package. So even when I, you know, I, I watched the end of the game live in my hotel room. When I came back, I, you know, put it on, on DVR just to watch an inning of it, just to see the 4K, because it was just such a picturesque setting. They they totally nailed the setup and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the flyover shots that they were doing. And it, you know, they, they put a lot. I mean, they had, you know, special on-screen graphics that looked like kind of old-timey. Um, it just, they, all the bells and whistles. And I was listening to a, a Joe Buck interview. He was talking that, um, with I think Sports Illustrated, he said, like the production level that they had, like all the trucks they brought in, it was like more than a Super Bowl, which is nuts for me for like a regular season baseball game. So anyway, it was one of those things. I mean, the, you kind of are in the dog days of the, the baseball season and, you know, something to kind of break it up. I, I thought it was a really cool thing. It's apparently not going to be a one-off. They're going to do one of these again next year with the Cubs and the Reds. 
Uh, so I don't know. I'm guessing it's probably going to become an annual thing. Probably won't always have the, uh, you know, the mystique of the first one. Um, but you know, baseball also does the, uh, the one in Williamsport, the Indians are going to be playing their game on Sunday night against the angels at, uh, there's a stadium, um, about five miles away from where the little league world series is going on. They, they've started doing that the last few years where they have like a ESPN Sunday night baseball, major league game during the little league world series. So the Indians get to play in that this year. So, um, that'll be, I don't, you know, not quite what, uh, the field of dreams was, but you know, is a, is a novelty type game to break up your season. It's pretty cool. Do you see the, um, it captured my feelings on field of dreams perfectly. Um, did you see the, there was a podcast, CC Sabathia does a podcast with Ryan Rucco. Okay. So a couple months ago before the season, um, they had Tim Anderson on who ended up winning, the, who ended up hitting the walk off Homer. Yes. They, they, and Ryan Rucco asks him, he says, you know, you're going to play in this game. Like, what do you, what do you think of it? And Tim Anderson says, I don't know much about it. I haven't seen the movie. Um, and CC Sabathia just screams like he's, he's, you can tell he's very excited. He says, and this is a quote. That's what I keep telling this motherfucker. Black people don't give a fuck about field of dreams playing in no fucking corn, which is a fantastic line. Um, playing in no fucking corn. Um, but the idea that the guy who hit, who had the like walk off thing has no interest in the movie, whatever, whatsoever has never seen it. It means absolutely nothing to him. Um, raises the question about how much do baseball players alone actually like field of dreams? Cause if I was a baseball player and this was like some great baseball movie, I would love it. So, fair question. Um, you like Field of Dreams, right? Okay. I, like Tim Anderson, have never seen Field of Dreams. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're not missing much. Well, yeah, I know. I'm Now we're going to find out how many of our friends actually listen to our podcast based on how many text <laughs> messages I get when this goes up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I know. I, so... Uh, <laughs> I can't necessarily relate to some of the other aspects of that, that quote. Uh, but yeah, I, I have not seen the movie either. Um, I do have an appreciation for sporting events being conducted in really unusual settings. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, every Anything NFL game that's in London, the major league baseball regular season is a great idea. Yes. Any, any NFL game that's over in London being played at nine 30 our time. Fun. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, you know, college basketball has done some regular season games on like air, uh, aircraft you know, carriers and stuff. Aircraft carriers. Fun. Yeah. Hell I'm yeah. Sign it. me yes. up. I'm totally yep. down. Um, so yeah, from that so aspect, you just like the aspect that it's a different, it's kind of a unique fun, like one off setting, like the, the outdoor hockey games. Great. Yes. Yeah. Like, perfect. Cool. Oh my God. The, the field uh, of dreams angle means nothing to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I, I will Fair say enough. that like watching the home run balls just disappearing into pretty corn funny. was pretty, cool. pretty fun. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned the hockey. Cause yeah, they do the winter classic on new year's day. I always, at some point when there's like a lull in the, in the college football games, I always try to watch some of the, the winter classic, but they did the one. It was not on, they have a whole series of those games. Now the NHL does. And they did one, I think in Lake Tahoe, it was, yeah, that sounds right. It was, it was incredible. They've all been really well done. Oh yeah. So this one, it like looked like it was by a ski lodge or something. And it was 
right uh right by the water and uh, i don't know it just the whole yeah this this cabin and yeah it, it was it was a fantastic setup there so that was like on a random saturday afternoon i feel like in february or something um that was cool so yeah from that aspect i was like all right gimmick game i'm in let's do it so, <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um yeah. and so i mean it feels like something they could probably do more of like I, I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head because like my my head goes to major league but okay they just played those games in a regular stadium yeah. um like most movies are just you know in a, if they're about baseball they're probably just in like a baseball stadium um, right so that one is unique in that respect but um yeah it was cool i'm uh, I, I like that way more than I like the movie Field of Dreams. That's that's all that it, it comes down to for me. All right. So one last thing I wanted to bring up. It's interesting you mentioned uh, we we got into this whole sidebar on settings and and you know environments for for games and stuff like that. Uh, I wanted to bring up wrestling. I know you're not a big wrestling guy anymore, but for those who are. This weekend coming up is huge uh, across the whole industry. Um, WWE has got uh, their their SummerSlam pay per view, and it's going to be at the Oakland or Oakland Jesus the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders uh, Stadium, uh, Allegiant Stadium, I think it's called there. So they're going to have like forty five thousand people in there, um, and they're basically making this like their their summer WrestleMania. Like they're going all out and couple nights or one night before that, because WWE is actually doing a pay-per-view on a Saturday, which is unique in and of itself. But Friday night, uh, AEW, which is the other wrestling company um, that's kind of come on the scene here in the last couple years, they've got the show on Wednesday nights and now they've just started one on Fridays. Uh, they're on TNT um, that they, they, they're doing a show at the, the Bulls uh, arena, the United Center in Chicago. And I think the last I saw they're looking at having over 14,000 people there, which is crazy. I think it's the like highest attendance for a wrestling show. That's not WWE in the United States in like over 20 years. Um, this whole company's arc has just been fascinating to me over the last two years since they launched. And the uh, the momentum that they've built, they're drawing like a million viewers a week now, which is really good. I think in like the key TV demographic, like the 18 to 49, they actually outdraw Monday Night Raw, which has been on for 30 years. So to be doing what that do already with that uh, with the pizza cutter thing, how that do? How that, how that track? So they brought in this guy who is kind of an independent wrestler. This guy. For yeah, his name is Nick Gage. He's not a full time performer. He has not been back on since. But they brought him in for one match a few weeks ago, and he's kind of got a reputation for being a a garbage wrestler, relying on weapons and junk. So he, at one point in this match against Chris Jericho, pulled a pizza cutter out of his pocket on his on his pants, and you know, uh, gigged him on the forehead. And of course, the announcers are freaking out. Oh, we got this is horrible. You know, we got to go to commercial. commercial. Yeah. And so they go to commercial. They go picture in picture where they keep the match on on one side (laughs) of the screen. They go to commercial. And the first thing you see after this guy carves up some dude's 
forehead with a pizza cutter was a commercial for Domino's and a pizza cutter going through a pizza. The yeah. timing was absolutely unbelievable. And that makes it, me yeah. want to hot and ready. Oh, it was. Yeah. So yeah. Domino's was apparently not thrilled with, with that, but you know, what, are, what are you going to do? But yeah, that, that promotion has been really, really fun. And it's been a great alternative. I think if, you know, you're kind of uh, burned out on the, the WWE product and, you know, WWE for, you know, all its, uh, you know, pluses and minuses. It's a very distinct vision of what wrestling should look like. And it's a very stylized and, and polished product. And, and the AEW has been, a, you know, refreshing alternative, a breath of fresh air. And, you know, the hot rumor uh, is that on Friday night, so, you know, tomorrow night as, as we record this here, when they do this new Friday show in Chicago, uh, I guess apparently they're bringing in CM Punk, who was, you know, a cult hero in WWE, went away about seven years ago and has pretty much stayed completely out of wrestling since then. Tried a couple of UFC matches that did not go well for him, but uh, landing him. I mean, he was the the WWE champ for I think he, he had has, like yeah. the longest run of any champion in like the last 25 years. So to get him. That's a major coup for them. Is he and wrestling? Yeah, that's that, you know, and it's been really kind of fun to see some of the hints that um, AEW has been dropping about it. There's one wrestler that like every week he does a promo. He keeps referencing best in the world, which is what CM Punk always referred to himself as. Meanwhile, like the current world champ on AEW every week, he comes into the the uh, the ring. He's when he's doing an interview or something, he wears a T-shirt with some phrase on it that's got uh cm like one week he had a shirt with cookie monster uh another <laughs> week he had a shirt that said chick magnet so um cm cm okay. yeah so it was like kind of a subtle thing then there were other ones where they were not really subtle where like they showed some fan in the crowd that had a sign that said cm punk is not here so uh <laughs> i guess they were not quite as uh casual about that one but uh yeah it's one of those things that always like it always used to drive me crazy because i get why they do it they publish all they they want you to be tuned in they want you watching when cm punk returns yeah but it it was awesome when you'd be watching and like anyone big like the rock stonehold whoever one of them came back if they hadn't been around for a while yep would come back and you weren't expecting it They've done when some of that as well. you know what's happening, like, that's nowhere near as cool. Yeah. Like, I get why they have to do it, too. They want you watching. Like, well, well, like, last winter, they brought Sting back on AEW. And, I mean, he was a big guy in, like, the late 90s, the old WCW. And yeah. Oh, yeah. They, there, was no, there was no sort of hype or hint that he was coming before he showed up. I think TNT actually was, like, kind of pissed at them for not hyping it because they felt like that was a a wasted opportunity, but um, yeah, it, it's been really fun and just wrestling in general. Now, Monday night raw, I think has been borderline unwatchable, but the AEW show, they've also been cutting guys like crazy. Yeah. I feel like, like, like you said, I don't watch a lot anymore, Yeah, but I know like some of the guys who are pretty big. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I know the guys who were, you know, they were getting main events. Yeah. Well, it like, feels like, like that Braun Strowman guy 
He yeah, just I mean, got he was recently. in a pay-per-view main event, and within a month, he was out of the company. That's crazy. And then yeah. the one dude, uh, who's the guy, like, the real creepy guy that used to walk Bray down Wyatt. with the lantern? That guy. They got rid of him, too. Yeah. Um, Like, he, I thought he was a guy that I felt like was huge. Right. Oh, he was. Yeah. I mean, they gave him the, the, the top title for a couple times. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, wrestling in general during the pandemic got hit hard and, you know, have I, when I had, uh, the WWE guy Otis on here a few weeks ago, I asked him, you know, cause they had that, um, what do they call it? The Thunderdome where they had the video screens and the fans, you know, all remote. Uh, and it was better than being in an empty building, but the atmosphere for those shows sucked. Yeah. And, you know, the last five or six weeks now, both the companies are back to touring. You know, WWE was in Cleveland back in July. Uh, I was there for that. Um, that's the best wrestling crowd, WWE crowd anyway, that I've been a part of since I was back in high school during like the, the heyday. Uh, you know, people, I don't know if it was just people were really excited to be there and finally like at an event. Um, but just the energy in there was tremendous and, um, their Friday night show SmackDown, they're really doing good stuff. So Roman Reigns is like the big champ right now. He's the top guy in the company. I don't know how they've managed to make a leukemia survivor into like the biggest asshole on television, but somehow he is. And it's amazing. He is killing it as this like Uber bad guy champion. And now they got John Cena back. Um, for like a limited run. And that's the main event of the SummerSlam pay-per-view this weekend and seeing those guys in person, it, it was, it was fantastic. Wrestling is, um, I, I don't know if it's just that like having another company pushing them has kind of forced them to step up their game on Fridays. Cause that's mm-hmm. kind of like their flagship show, um, or, or what, but, uh, or maybe if it's just the fact that they've got, you know, full crowds again or whatever, but, yeah, the product on on at least Wednesdays and Fridays across both companies has been way better than it's been in a long, long time. Is it going to be like Monday Night Wars all over again? Yeah, well, so that's the funny thing. So WWE's got this other show, NXT. It used to be only on their network, and it was kind of like the developmental program. It was like their minor league, so yeah. guys would you know, come in, work there for a couple years, figure out who they and what they want to be. And then they get called up to one of the top shows. Well, when AEW launched, um, WWE struck a deal to put NXT on Wednesday nights to go head to head with them. And AEW kind of boat raced them to the point that uh, USA waved the white flag, moved NXT to Tuesdays and, um, you know, backed off because they were getting beat so bad every week. And, um, you know, now there's, you know, if you're really into this stuff, there's all these stories out there now that I guess Vince McMahon, who had been pretty hands off with that and focused mainly on their, their flagship stuff is taking a much more hands-on approach and radically reshaping what, what that program has been. So, yeah, I mean, you know, WWE will talk about how their competition is, you know, Disney and, uh, you know, the you know Marvel universe and, and things like that. And, you know, they're way above just being a wrestling company or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think they've certainly, you know, AEW's on their radar. I mean, a lot of the guys that made their name in WWE have gone over there and are 
doing, you know, really cool stuff for them and have helped them, you know, build a, a really big audience. So, yeah. Urban Meyer's showing up every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, he made a cameo on their, their pay-per-view. Yeah, because they, uh, you know, AEW, they're owned by the family that owns the Jaguars. So mm-hmm. while the pandemic was going on, they did all their shows at the amphitheater that's next to the Jaguar stadium. So yeah, now that urban's coaching the Jags, they, they got him on a pay-per-view helping uh, Chris Jericho, uh, throwing him uh, footballs and a laptop to beat somebody over the head with. That was, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. That's pure Jacksonville. Oh, it, it was great. So yeah, it was, that was, that was pretty funny. Um, the, the, the rest of that wasn't so good, but yeah, that segment, at least his reaction and his acting, um, probably for the best he's a football coach but it was <laughs> it's good oh nice so, well there you go uh what else i we're uh, we're over an hour here you want to should we should we uh call it a night you wanted to talk kirtland football? oh no we'll uh say no, I, yeah we can we can say I, I will just very quickly i know the high school football season starting this weekend and uh shortly before you and i started recording somebody shared on twitter uh, the, the Kirtland football program put out a hype video for their season that was just wildly over the top. And I just thought it was amazing. Um, but you know what, when you win that many state championships and you've put together a dynasty like them, you can flex like that. So God bless them. Good uh, for Kirtland. It's funny. I have uh, my niece. I think she's a senior. She's going to be a senior at Kirtland. Every time I see her, like her boyfriend plays football and like all this stuff. And, I like subtly give her shit about it all the time. Like she mentioned how they had to buy like championship rings or something. And I was like, they give championship rings for D five titles. <laughs> Every time I just get these like subtle, subtle little digs in there. I don't think she knows that I'm just giving her shit. Mm. Um, but yeah, sorry. It's D five football. Kirtland. There's no such thing as a dynasty in D five. Ah, come on now. Small town America. That's public school. There I said it. Oh, oh, the heel. Mm. Yeah, I stand by it. Yeah. Maybe if the Mormons hadn't set up shop there. Well, if if we don't uh, make it to episode 300, it's going to be because an angry mob marched up 306 and decided to uh, tune you up for your... What, uh... all 17 of them? (laughs) Come on. Come on. Yeah. Sir. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> All right. We better we better call this off before uh, you get us into more trouble uh, here. Yeah, no, uh, no. No one from Kirtland is tuning in. Oh. Yeah, there might be someone. I don't know. I don't even know if I know anybody in Kirtland. We'll find than, out now, won't yeah, we? Yeah, I guess we will, won't we? <laughs> All right. Well, here's to 200 and uh, hopefully 200 more. As a uh, reminder, uh, you could subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast listening platforms. We are also on waitingfornextyear.com. That is going to do it for us for this week. For Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. We will catch you next time on The Nail in the Coffin, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.
Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.